You know, today, today starts a, uh, a fun trip down memory lane. Y'all ever been to memory lane? Good place to go, right? Depends, I suppose. We have a fun time down memory lane today. We're going to be walking down memory lane. I'm going to have to confess to something. We are going to be celebrating this month. See, this month is, October is Minister Appreciation Month. And uh, during this month, I've been talking to our staff, and I've told them that each Sunday this month, I want each one of them to come up and share with our church how God, what God was doing in their life to bring them to serve at Westmead to be a part of our incredible staff because we have incredible people serving our church family and I'm so thankful for them and I'm excited to celebrate what God has done in his faithfulness for our church through them. So we're going to be doing this uh, and I talked to them about it. I said I just want you to come talk about how God called you uh, to serve in our church and they're like why are we doing this? I'm like you know we're just going to be talking about how God called people to serve. So I kind of deceived them. Mm. Sorry, guys. It's also why I asked you don't be mad at me. Yeah. So, uh, but we're going to start today with my friend, Terrence. So I'm going to invite Terrence to come on up to the stage uh, as we start our appreciation series. And look at this. Hey guys, what do y'all think about this coup right here? I even I even wore my wildlife shirt so I could like promote we, promote the brand. We didn't know about this right here, I promise. We didn't know. I didn't know he was going to be wearing his today, but I'm like, man, I'm wearing my wildlife shirt because we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness yes. through Terrence and our student ministry. Oh, Terrence, see, now this is what no, see, this is what I'm mad about. Ah, no, you said you wouldn't be mad at me. He said you're not going to be mad at me. I said mm, I don't know. No, see, absolutely. Well, not. So here's. So Terrence, uh, for those of you who don't know, Terrence is our student pastor. Hey. Uh, he got here in January and, uh, and, and has been doing an amazing job. We're going to brag on him in just a minute. Students, y- y'all kind of like this dude? Yeah. Oh, yeah! Adults, do we kind of like this dude? Yeah. Absolutely. So Terrence is going to remind us, even though it's just been a few months ago, he's going to remind us of the, what God was doing in his life. Uh, when God stirred in him the, to answer the call to come serve him at Westmead. So Terrence, tell us about it, bro. Thanks, buddy. Um, first of all, I just need to apologize for your bullets. And you, some of you had to wake up to that. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just want to say I'm sorry, okay? Um, from the bottom of my heart. It's all his fault, probably. Uh, Amanda had something to do with it, I'm sure. Um, but uh, so, yes, uh, our story right? And when Justin said this, we sat in staff meeting uh, Tuesday and uh, I was like, man, you got to give me some more. Oh, they can't hear you. You got to give me some more boundaries, right? I'm looking at him because I want to talk to him. You got to give me some more boundaries because if you don't, I'm just going to run wild. Like, I I don't know. Like I've got, I've got his sermon right here. You ready? Uh, Open your Bibles. No, I'm just kidding. I I wanted more boundaries because I want to know because I have a lot of story. I guess, and and most of us do, right? And I said, well, you want me to just talk about the day that you called me? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, I could talk about that for about 10 hours, right? <laughs> um, okay, so 
I'm going to start right here. Ground zero. I, Terrence Andrews, should not be right here right now. And some of you are like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're right about that. I could probably think of a thousand and one reasons that I shouldn't be standing here just physically or any other reason why. And probably more if I contemplated it longer because, you see, my story doesn't look like most church staff members' stories. Uh, I come from a home that's two-time divorced before I was married. Uh, that means I, I witnessed divorce wreck a home more than once in my adolescent life. Uh, I, I was raised pretty much fatherless. I don't have a father figure in my life to this day. So the odds were stacked against me, David, weren't they? Hmm. But here's this. I was pinning my own story for a very long time, so I thought God allowed me to think that, right? Like I'm writing my own story. But there's a point in my life that I passed the pin. I passed the pen to an author greater than myself, and he wrote two words, but God. And that's where everything turned. That's where everything took a very sharp left or right, whichever way you want to go since then. But God commended his love towards us while I... See, it didn't have to be for the multitude. It was for me, but God. He stepped in, took the pen, and started writing this story. You see, I, I said this in staff meeting, and David kind of looked at me like, that's the first smart thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I, saw you look, I saw you look, David. Uh, I said this, and it kind of like, it broke my rough heart. I said, my story has never determined who God is. But God has always determined my story. Mm-hmm. And I kind of let that penetrate while I said three to five minutes, right? Okay. Um, I thought, where do I start? So I'm going to start at the day that I got a telephone call. And uh, it was just another day. I don't even remember what day of the week it was. Justin probably does. He's got that Loctite brain, right? Monday. What was Monday? Okay, see, I told you. He probably knows what he ate for lunch that day. A whopper. Okay. Um, it, it was a Monday, because we're going to go with it. I believe him. And it was, it was a call that I wasn't expecting. And Justin McCall, I didn't have his phone number programmed in my phone. I was like, 256, okay, whatever. I like talking to telemarketers, right? Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer the phone. Had him on in the car. I'm driving. We get to talking. You see... And I'm, this isn't to say anything in and of who I am, but if you're in student ministry, right, Larry, you get that call. I'm sure Larry still gets about 50 calls a week. Hey, will you come be our youth pastor? Um, and, and so we talked, but it was, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit different because I knew what God was already doing in my life months before. You see, when I was first right here in this position speaking to you, I proclaim God's truth as found in Isaiah 43, verse 19. And he says, behold, I am doing something new. You see, that wasn't a scripture that God had given to me to present to you for the very first time in my life. But it was something that God had planted 
months earlier. And I knew that God has a way of messing things up, right? For his good. That's right. He stirred me in a way where I walked in the door and of course my lovely wife Miranda said, where have you been? Right? Because I was sitting in the driveway talking on the phone. And I said, well, this guy named Justin uh, called me and he, he's, he's wanting me to submit a resume. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay. We just went on, went on about our day, right? And I think we had more conversation. And I said, why don't we start praying about it? I want you and I to start praying over this right now. And I had absolutely no idea as we laid in bed that night at 1130 at night Not only our lives would change, but the lives of those that we love would change. You see, the phone rang, and it's the call that you never want to get. My son was lying asleep in his bed, so it's not that call, right? It was the call of a a crying mother. Our friends, my son's best friends, was just diagnosed with stage 4 neuroblastoma cancer at UAB hospital and everything shook everything. I thought for a moment, I thought, well, God, thanks. You answered that really quick. I, there's no need in me even thinking about or praying about Westmead Baptist church, but you see, God didn't quite intend that call to do that. He intended that call to awaken me to his voice and what he was calling of me, because you see, long time ago, before I even knew Justin, before I knew who Westmead was as a church, God had planted that seed, not just months earlier, but years. And I knew that God had called me to serve his bride, his church, in such a way that I was not well equipped to do, nor am I still equipped to do, right? But I want you to know that in your story, you'll find some semblance with mine because none of us are well equipped for what God's calling us to do. So we roll on and, and Justin keeps pestering me, right? Where's your resume? Where's your resume? I didn't have a resume because I wasn't intentionally seeking other things in my life. I was open to them and Miranda and I had been praying for quite some time, but you see, I needed to know that this was of God because if it wasn't, I wasn't moving an inch. Because when you find that place that you know God has called you to, you dare not leave it until you know that you know that you know that God is calling you somewhere else. Finally, one day I looked at Miranda and I said, hey, guess what? We're going on a visit up to uh, Decatur, Alabama. She's like, what? What's in Decatur, Alabama? I said, that Westmead Baptist Church, they want, you want... She said, what are you talking about? I said, it's kind of like that. We left there, and I think we had conversation the entire two and a half hours back about, well, that, that's, that's where God wants us. That's where God wants us. You see, we got to meet uh, tremendous people that were on the group that, that called us here. We got to meet staff. We got to see who Westmead was in a little microchasm, right? And and we thought, man, that's confirmation. And not only that, in the months walking through the precious family that 
was just diagnosed with cancer, the young man walking through that with that family, God confirmed over and over and over and over again, it's ready. I'm doing something new in your life. So, guess what happened? Here we are. I said, yes, God. Yes. I could have said no, but I said yes. Because remember those two words, but God? See, that changed everything. But God said, go. Go and serve Westmead. Go and serve the people of Westmead. Go and love their students, their parents, their everybody, their their people. And here I find myself today humbled. You hear me? Humbled. Because I shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be who Terrence Andrews is. If you knew me in my adolescent years, you would have never said you're going to stand behind a pulpit anywhere, let alone Decatur, Alabama at Westmead, where my people are gathered faithfully and humbly serving their Lord. So that's my story in a nutshell. I got about 14 more hours. Um, and yeah, to don't. be honest, oh, you not, oh man, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm I'm simply humbled by a pastor that would allow his staff to share their story. That's special, y'all. And I'm going to deflect back on him. We have a great man of God. Where'd you go? I'm right here. We have a great man of God serving us humbly. Listen to me. It's it's my turn. See, because you you didn't think about this flipping on you. Well, I was I was thinking about something else. See, uh, the students of our parents got together and okay. they put together a little appreciation gift and wanted to say, we Westmead, student, parents of students as well as the students, thank you for how you serve our church and we appreciate you, thank very, you. very, very much. Very thank much. you very much. Love you. <laughs> told you it was yours. You asked if it was yours. I told you it was. All right, turn to Romans chapter 5. No, I'm just kidding. How about that? Romans 5. Imagine that, huh? I love that guy. Terrence is, uh, our great, our church has greatly benefited from Terrence. He's doing an incredible work. This morning, uh, I walked over in the refuge, uh, because I smelled something. And, uh, I walked in the refuge, and man, there was this worship music playing, and, and on every table in the refuge was a dozen donuts, and there was this mountain of box cereal, and there was syrup and butter laid out for the fact that Terrence was in the kitchen making pancakes. And the, the smell was this incredible smell of coffee uh, because when Terrence brews coffee, he leaves the top open. So all the coffee smell fills the room. And uh, I was like, man, it smells so good. And I, I just realized I'm recruiting for your Sunday school classes because all the adults are like, honey, let's go to that class next week. It'll be great. Uh, it was so good. He does such an amazing job loving our students, discipling them, leading them. Uh, and it was so great. And going back to that phone call, uh, man, it was it was unique when we were in the position of trying to find a student pastor. Uh, we were we were kind of didn't know what we're, what to expect. I mean, it wasn't like a traditional situation, you know, where where we called and we're like, hey, we want you to consider being our youth pastor, because the first question inevitably is, well, what happened to the previous youth pastor? And then it's like, well, he's he's actually still on staff. He'll be ministering alongside. Hello, hello, was that you clicking or was that me clicking? We didn't know what was going on and and uh and i remember calling uh it was it was sometime we were searching and i called scooter kellum who is the alabama state board of missions youth guy for the whole state and i said hey 
I need a name or some names. I need somebody that we can start praying about and approaching about being our student pastor. And he said, oh, well, I got one name for you. I said, which one name is that? He said, Terrence. And literally the first thing out of my mouth was, my Terrence? Uh, because I had met Terrence about two years before at a youth pastor's retreat. And uh, we had kind of rubbed elbows and done a lot of stuff and all this stuff throughout the state with youth ministry and stuff. So I was like, my Terrence? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I mean, not my Terrence, but he's like, yeah. And I hung up with, with Scooter and I called Terrence. And I remember getting off the phone with Terrence thinking, yeah, we're never going to get Terrence. Uh, but then God said, you're not going to get Terrence. I've got Terrence. Now watch what I'm going to do. And, uh, and it's been remarkable at what God's going to do and continue to do through him at his ministry here. It's just a unique timing of the whole thing. And, and the idea of timing, timing's everything, isn't it, church? It's one of those things where, where, where when something perfectly times itself out, it's like, man, you can't script that better. So I'm inviting you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to talk about timing a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about the call a little bit this morning. And we're going to unpack God's word as we look at this text together. This morning as we look in Romans 5, it's just evidence of how God is at work in his timing and what it's for, and why he does it that way. So in Romans chapter 5, we're going to be looking at a few verses, beginning in verse 6. So I want you to turn to Romans 5, beginning in verse 6. Let's look at this passage of Scripture together uh, as we honor the Lord. Paul writes to the church in Romans, beginning in verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want us to just take a few minutes to unpack this passage of scripture because it is so foundational to who we are. So first thing I want us to see is kind of the first thing that we see there in verse six is that phrase, just the right time. Church, can I tell y'all something that you should know? And if you don't, you need to know it now. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing every single time things happen in our life. Sometimes we go and fumble ourselves into a situation that even though we put ourselves in it, God still knows what he's doing and how to minister us and get us out of it or to lead us through it. God knows what he's doing every single time. And when we look back at the story of Christ, when we look back at this incredible uh, exactly what Paul was just writing about here. Can you imagine God in, in, in laying out creation and laying out what we call time all in front of him, knowing exactly the right time when he was to send his son into the earth? I've actually had multiple conversations with people throughout the time saying, well, why didn't God send Jesus right before the flood? Why didn't God send Jesus now, why didn't God send Jesus at this point in time? 
And my incredibly ingenious answer to them is this. I don't know. But I know God knows what he's doing. So when he sent Jesus at this time, and that's what he references, you see at just the right time, God was bringing glory to his name through his son. It's kind of like what we just talked about with Terrence. Had we contacted Terrence a month earlier, Terrence probably wouldn't be standing up here. Had we contacted Terrence a month later, Terrence probably still wouldn't be standing up here. But at just the right time, because God knows what he's doing and the timing he works things out. Because see, you just heard a little bit about what was taking place in Terrence's life, what God was doing. And what God was doing in our church, we already know about. And how God orchestrated those things together. The reason we can take this one step further, church, is because earlier we talked about the things that you're facing. The things you're dealing with. And trust me when I say this, God knows what he's doing. And what you're facing and what you're challenged with, God has already been working, not just in your life to handle what's going on or to face what's going on, but he's been taking care of all the other elements that you are in no power or control over. And he's orchestrating and is knitting these things together for just the right time for you to see his hand and his glory at work in it. That is why we as the church, we as the believers in Jesus, keep our eyes focused on him. So when just the right time comes, we recognize it because that just the right time is for his glory and our good. At just the right time. And look what else he says here. It says this. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Let me ask you a question. Uh, And this might be more for parents in the room. I don't know. Have you ever read the book, The Giving Tree? Don, I don't want your commentary now. Anybody ever read Raise your hand if you've ever read The Giving Tree. Y'all familiar with that book, The Giving Tree? This is the most depressing children's book that's out there. If you never read it, don't. All right? Trust me on this. I'm not trying to steer you wrong. If you've never read The Giving Tree, this is what it's about. It's about a tree and about a boy. And as the boy ages and grows, so does the tree. And throughout this children's book, the boy comes to the tree and always wants something. Parents, that probably does not sound familiar to you, and I'm sure that's pretty foreign to you. So just hang with me. It is a children's book. The boy comes to the tree, and he always wants something. And every time he wants something, the tree tries its best to meet that need. And when it meets the need, the boy goes away, and it says, and the tree was happy. Whatever, you know? Well, as the boy gets older... The things he wants bring with it a higher cost. So at some point in time, we see the boy kind of turning into a young man, and he says, I want money. And the tree says, well, take my apples and sell them. So he takes all the tree's apples and goes and sells them and makes money. And the tree was happy. And then the boy comes back to the tree a little bit later and says, I want a house. Can you give me a house? And the tree says, well, you know what? Just cut off all my branches and build a house. So the, the, the boy cuts all the branches off the tree. And he goes and builds a house. And the tree was happy. And then he comes back to the tree as a, as a man. And he's like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I want out of here. I want a boat. Can you give me a boat? And the tree says, well, you know what? You can take my trunk. So the boy chops the trunk off. This is horrible. I'm telling you, don't read it. He chops the trunk off, 
He turns the trunk into a boat and sails away. And it says, and the tree was... But then it said, but it really wasn't. Because the boy left. And then the boy came back and he was an old man. And he's like, uh, the tree was like, what do you want now? Actually, the tree was like, you know, all giving tree. It was like, oh, how can I help? And he was like, man, I'm old, I'm tired. He goes, the tree said, I got a stump. And you can sit down. So the boy sat on the stump and the tree... Isn't that so sad? It's so sad. Because this this boy just kept coming back and wanting more. And the more he wanted, the more it cost the tree. Until there was nothing left of the tree. And of course, it's illustrating this idea of just like, oh, how giving and how loving and blah, blah, blah. Church, let me ask you this. If a children's book can communicate to children how a tree can love them unconditionally, I want you to blow that up on a cosmic scale and I want us to consider God. Because this passage just said that Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about when Jesus, when he was, before he was even being crucified, of how he was being mocked and he was being beaten and he was being spit on and he was getting just the world of punishment dumped on him. And can you imagine, I mean, just think about this, man. All it took, all it took was either God the Father or the Son to say, you know what? I'm done with this. Hey, it's Armageddon time. Woohoo! You're going to regret throwing that stick at me. I mean, he could have easily snapped his fingers before they were nailed to a cross and all of life on earth could have been eliminated. He could have called down an, a legion of angels that had just come down and just <laughs> nothing left. All he had to do was issue one command that said, I'm done and it's over. Why? Because all this ungodliness, all these ungodly people were causing him suffering all it took was one command and the ungodly would have been eradicated from the earth do you know the command he gave the command he gave was father forgive them they don't know what they're doing that was the command because christ died for the ungodly for the ones that kept coming and taking from him and taking from him this unconditional love that Jesus demonstrated to us that Christ died for the ungodly. Can you imagine what he could have commanded when the, the whips lashed across his back? Can you imagine what he could have commanded before the first spit touched his face? Can you imagine what he could have commanded when the, before the thorns were pressed down on his head? He could have said anything that he said, Father, forgive them. That is a love that apart from Christ we will never know. That Christ would die for the ungodly. And while when we see the boy get what he wants, the tree was happy. God wasn't concerned about our happiness in sending his son. He was concerned about our holiness in sending his son. And through the sacrifice and the shed blood of Christ and our acceptance of that as our Lord and Savior, then we became holy in the eyes of a holy and perfect God because the son died for the ungodly. Let's keep looking through this text. It's so rich. Look at that in verse 5, 8. And Terrence actually referenced this. 
It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that first word on that phrase, while. While. While we were still sinners. You know what that word while means, right? It means during our sinfulness. It means right in the middle of our sinfulness. It means as it's taking place, it's happening at this very moment while we were still sinners. It wasn't while the people were trying to rid themselves of all their sin. It wasn't while the people were trying to find a way to worship God. It wasn't while the people were repentant of their sin. No, it's while we were still sinners. And what it means is at our very lowest of our lows, when we were at the most unredeemable point in our life, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We kind of knew this was coming. If you look back in Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said this. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus kind of said, this is the purpose of why I'm here. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you all know how much God hates sin? A lot. That's the beginning of it. How much does God hate sin? Let me tell you how much God hates sin. God is perfect. God is holy and perfect. And because he is perfect, which is the opposite of sin, he refuses sin to even be allowed in his presence. Do you know what you would have to do if you refused sin to be allowed in your presence? You would never talk to your family again. You'd never watch TV or read the newspaper. You would never have pretty much any interaction with anybody or anything. And even then, you would still fail because we ourselves are sinful people. God hates sin. It repulses him. When the sin of the world went on Jesus, God turned his back on his own son. This is how much God hates sin. And it makes sense to know why God hates sin. Look at the results of sin. Just look at the results of sin. We have hospitals all over the world. We have medical clinics all over the world. We have jails and prisons everywhere. We have graveyards. All of these things are a result of sin, church. No wonder God disdains it. No wonder God is despised, despises Sin. John Phillips writes this. John Phillips says that man is the hand in the glove of sin. God hates sin. Paul writes in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. Look at what he says here. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. By making peace through his son's blood. Let me tell you something. My son, seven years old, he, he was the one that got a head start on children's church and had to be called back, but he's up there now. If anybody in this world were to intentionally 
with malintent caused my son to bleed a drop of blood from his pinky, we going to war. You going to die. Maybe not literally, but I'm certainly going to threaten you. I'm not good. If anybody intentionally desired to draw blood from my son, I'm not okay with that. And I'm not just going to stand back and say, oh, please don't do that. No, we're going to have a problem. Are are any parents in this room that kind of feel the same or is it just me? That if somebody intentionally caused your child to bleed, are you going to be okay with that? God hates sin. And when the sin of the world fell on the shoulders of Jesus, it says in Colossians, God was pleased because God made peace through the blood of his son shed on the cross. Do you know why? Because while we, while, right in the middle of, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing we could do. If you look in the in verses 9 and 10, you see this word reconciled being used a lot. Reconciled means this, to restore friendly relations between. The rest of this passage that we just looked at, and even the passage that we referenced in Colossians, it points to the restoration of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this reconciliation, this uh, restoration of friendly relations between. But it was so much more than that. We've already established that God provided an unconditional love for his people that weren't even his people at the time. They were his enemies, and we see that earlier. That God provided an unconditional love in order for us to have salvation. We have salvation through the blood of Christ. We are saved through his life. That's exactly what it says there in verses 9 and 10. Twice in this phrase, twice in this passage of scripture, we see the phrase much more used. I'm looking at the NIV, so yours might say something different, but twice it says much more. Do you see that? Look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. Do you see where it says much more? It says it twice, doesn't it? It says it in verse 9. How much more shall we be saved? It says in verse 10, how much more having been reconciled? See, Mosaic law for the Jews, the Mosaic law meant this. But let's say David, David, can I use an example? Good, because if viewers said no, that would have been real awkward. <laughs> you think about it. Let's say David were to break into my house one night, and he beats me up, and he steals all my money, which if you're wearing a pair of pants with a pocket, you'd be all right, you know? Let's say he gets caught. Mosaic law says that David has to pay all that back to me. So whatever money he took, he has to give it back. Whatever it cost me to get better, he has to pay all that back. Whatever he has to uh, fix to get repaired in my house from breaking in, he has to pay that back. But Mosaic law says that the person, the perpetrator, has to pay back an extra 20% so that the victim actually comes out, not just the victim, but the gainer. So if David were to do that, he doesn't just pay me back my money. He pays me back my money plus 20%. He doesn't just pay my hospital bills. He pays my hospital bills plus another 20%. He doesn't just pay to have my house repaired. He pays to have my house repaired plus 20%. Do you see what takes place in the Mosaic Law? 
Paul was pressing into this when he was using this phrase, much more, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved? We were reconciled in him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We see that the punishment for our sin was fully paid by Jesus Christ. And then we who were not the victims, we were the perpetrators, but we became the ones who gained everything. Look, this is why he talks about in verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's plenty to boast about, church. We've already established that we are loved unconditionally. We're already established that Jesus met us while we were still sinners and still laid down his life for us. We have established that all of these things about the fact that we were reconciled and how much more was our relationship not just restored but started in in a relationship with God the Father through his son. And then the 20% comes that we get to be called sons and daughters of God. The price has been paid for our sins. And on top of that, we become the gainers. What is not to boast about, church? What do we have to be ashamed of or to fear? What is it that's holding us back in silence by saying like, "Mm, I just don't want to say anything about my faith. It says we should boast because of who God is, how he has loved us, and through the blood of his son, how it paid the price for our sin and gave us right of salvation to be co-heirs with Christ. This is how much God has loved you. This is how much God still loves you. Call me crazy, but I feel like we need to be a little more excited about that, church. Because this is the gospel. And it transformed my life. And it transformed Terrence's life. And because of the continued work of the gospel, we see this privilege we have of doing ministry together. What has transformed your life? What is worth boasting about in your life? What type of love has the Father so lavished on us freely through His Son that we need to leave here and can't be kept quiet. God loves you, church. He loves you a whole lot more than we can ever actually realize. He loves His children with an unfailing love. And if you've never experienced that today, What's stopping you? What is stopping you from choosing not to be loved like that? What's stopping you from being transformed by the powerful love of Christ because God didn't give up on you? What's stopping you? The price has been paid. It's your call to gain. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving me like that. And even though we can talk about it and we see it written down in the word, there's no possible way we can understand that. 
Because God, our, our sin cost. We always worry about what our sin costs us. God, it cost you your son. And you were at peace with it because of the blood shed on the cross. I don't get that as a father. But God, I'm so thankful that you did. I'm so thankful that so thankful that you love me God because just like Terrence said he didn't deserve to be standing up there I don't deserve anything none of us do but while while we didn't deserve anything while we were worthless while we were not worthy of redemption while we were still sinners Christ died for us for your glory, for our good. So God, for anyone here that has never experienced that love, I pray that during this time of invitation, they would come down the aisle and just ask me about it. They would, go across, they would find someone here and just ask them, I want to know what it's like to be loved like that. God, if there's someone in this room that professes Jesus but they're not living, Jesus, that you would remind them of how much you love them. And it's not a works-based love. It is a love freely given through grace. And God, for the believer, all they need to do is turn back to you, Father, and trust you and be loved by you. That's it. And God, if, if I can have the privilege of praying with them and talking with them through that, God, give them the courage to walk down this aisle to do so. God, give us or remind us, you've already given us, remind us of the reason we have to boast in Christ Jesus alone. And may we do something about it in obedience. So God, whatever it is, as we enter into a time of invitation where you're inviting us to respond to your word, may we not be disobedient but may we respond as dearly loved children of God. Church, if you'll stand, we enter into this time of invitation. Move as God is calling you to move. Lord, I come. I